Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 7 to 15. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way in the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Andrew, for reading our scripture this morning. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to that passage we just heard read in Matthew chapter 2, as the kids can be dismissed to the meadow as well. But if you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Mike Stroh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be together in this season of peace, this Sunday where we recognize the theme of peace in Advent. This is a season of peace, or so we say, right? Is that our actual experience? We read scriptures about peace this time of year. We sing songs just like we did this morning about peace. But for many of us, this time of year, peace feels maybe more distant than ever. We've all seen those Black Friday videos, right, of people getting trampled just to get discount TVs. Thankfully, that's not happening as much these days. Maybe that's one of the blessings of the pandemic. But if it's not the usual shopping chaos of the season, maybe it's just relentless busyness. Maybe it's work demands, it's Christmas parties to attend, it's conflicts with family members, it's those political divisions that are as deep as ever. For many of us, this time of year brings not as much peace, but maybe more of a renewed grief over the loss of loved ones. And so... Advent peace can feel like a contradiction. But we'll see this morning that this is nothing new. As we consider the birth of Christ, the Prince of Peace, his first years on earth were anything but peaceful. At least peace as we typically understand it. Being born in a manger, his family fleeing for their lives in Egypt. Even the first advent of Christ that we imagine in such serene paintings and such peaceful Christmas carols, was surrounded by conflict and was surrounded by danger. So how are we to understand peace this Advent season? Is it just something we'll never really know until heaven? 
or at least not until January? Is this peace impossible? Or are we missing something? Continue our journey this morning through Advent. Last week, we started with hope. Advent looks not just to the first coming of Christ, but to his second coming. And so we are framed between the first and second coming of Christ as we begin the church year. And last week, Phil reminded us that our hope in Christ is sure and it's secure. But can we say the same thing about peace? Something we heard last week about hope is that God gives us meaning in our suffering and adversity. That same God who brings adversity and who allows adversity into our lives promises us peace. We'll see in Matthew chapter 2 this morning that despite all the suffering, despite all the adversity, despite all the obstacles to peace around us, the peace of Christ is available to us. And when we're in that adversity, when we're in that suffering, that's often when we feel our need for peace. That's often when we experience the peace of Christ most clearly. So let's explore this tension, this apparent conflict just a little bit to see more clearly what peace should look like for us today, particularly during Advent. Let's bow for prayer as we turn to God's word. Our Father, it is good to gather this morning to worship you. We all come with various things heavy on our minds and heavy on our hearts. We have to-do lists that seem ever-increasing. But Father, you have gathered us here again this morning to, to quiet our hearts, to draw our hearts and minds to you. And so we pray in total dependence that you would meet us here as we open your word. That you would give us this peace that we sing about, that we read about, that we believe is ours in Christ by faith, and yet sometimes we don't experience it. So we ask for your peace to be here among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to spend most of our time in this chapter this morning just looking at a few short little episodes that Matthew records for us from the very early life of Jesus, just after his birth. And if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. And as you're doing that, let me remind us that the angels in Luke's account proclaimed peace on earth, famously, at the birth of Jesus. Isaiah prophesied of this first coming of Messiah, uh, the passage that we've already heard read this morning with the candle lighting. Isaiah wrote to us, a child is born, to us a son is given. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. Peace was long promised with the arrival of Messiah. And remember, peace in the Bible is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just the absence of war as we tend to think about it. Peace in the Bible is so much more. It's a presence. It's a fullness. Human flourishing is God's vision of peace. But holding that in our minds, let's look at Matthew 2 to try to reconcile this a little bit, this apparent tension with our own experience, maybe. So look at chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So news has spread of the birth of this Jesus, and these wise men or magi come to King Herod, assuming he would know about it. He would know where this had taken place. But Herod, of course, is very troubled at this news. It says, all Jerusalem with him, Matthew writes. So much for a peaceful reception of this king. Those in charge, they recognized that the birth of a supposed king would be a threat to them. And they were right. The all Jerusalem might be Matthew's way of foreshadowing how the nation would ultimately reject their Messiah. But here at this moment, for Herod in particular, this is a problem. That's why he's troubled, because Herod is a Roman appointee. Right? He's not a rightful king. This quotation that he, he, he hears about Messiah being born in Bethlehem comes from Micah chapter 5. The end of it comes from Second Samuel 5, these two passages put together, pointing to David himself shepherding Israel as king in peace. You can imagine Herod wasn't too thrilled uh, with this connection, with this quotation. In verses 7 through 12, this is a little bit more of a familiar part of the story. We see him summon the wise men and he secretly gives them this mission. Bring back word to me when you find him, the supposed king. We know they find Jesus. They bring him their gifts. They fall down to worship him. But as verse 12 reminds us, God's plan is never in danger despite Herod's plan. Look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I want us to notice a couple of things here. In each of these quick episodes uh, of chapter 2, the tension builds. The danger, the uncertainty seems to only increase. But after each part of the narrative, notice that Matthew inserts a fulfillment of prophecy. That's very significant. Let's keep that in mind as we keep looking at these episodes. Look at verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Now let's put ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Joseph. They probably thought the worst was over, right? After the tumultuous birth, finally Jesus is born. Now we can get on with this peace that we've been hearing so much about, that we've been waiting for for so long from our Messiah. But an angel comes and tells Joseph not to get ready for peace, but to take his family and run for their lives. Imagine being Joseph, just when you think you have God's plan figured out. Another angel appears and throws you yet another curveball. But he's not deterred. Look at his immediate obedience. They leave by night. Matthew again reminds us this is all according to God's plan. Not our plan, but God's plan. Just as Hosea wrote, out of Egypt I called my son. Now the prophet Hosea used these words to speak of the the nation of Israel their time, uh, their origin in Egypt, and God calling them out of Egypt to be his people. Matthew is not ignorant of that meaning of these words. He's not ignorant of the original context. Rather, he's making a bold statement by using this quotation that Christ is the true Israel. He's coming to succeed, to succeed where the nation has failed. Messiah has arrived. Matthew is clear. 
Notice all these parallels that Matthew is drawing us to. Look at between Jesus and Moses. Remember, Moses found refuge in Egypt as an infant. As Herod's slaughter of the infants in Bethlehem in the following verses in Matthew, they remind us of Pharaoh killing the Hebrew children. Just as Moses escaped that death to one day deliver his people, Matthew is showing us that Jesus will do the same. And this incredible deliverance that Moses brought God's people is just a mere shadow of the deliverance that Messiah will bring, Matthew is telling us. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, like Pharaoh, Herod had these infants killed to protect his own power. This is consistent with what we know of of Herod historically. Sadly, this is just one of many episodes where Herod had innocents slaughtered for his own gain. Anyone Herod thought was a threat to him, he would have them executed, oftentimes along with their entire families and friends. Josephus tells us that when Herod died, his plan was to have all the nobility, all the Jewish nobility killed so that the mourning for Herod's death would seem genuine. That's the kind of guy we're dealing with here. Thankfully, that plan wasn't carried out, but it tells us who we're dealing with. So we see the tension between this proclamation of peace on earth and this. Actual circumstances that we face in this broken world. At times we can look around us and all we see are the obstacles to peace. It feels hopeless. Even here, Matthew gives us a scripture fulfilled. Now, the way that Matthew introduces this scripture is a little bit different than the others. It shows that Herod alone, not God, is responsible for this. But he's showing us that even in the darkest time, even when we see only see death and suffering around us, God is still at work to bring about his plan for peace. On the surface, it seems like this chapter is the last place to go to look for peace. You may be wondering why I chose this passage on peace in Advent. On the surface, it seems like this part of the story is only a contradiction of what those angels proclaimed. But then we stop for a moment and we realize that to bring peace, Jesus had to enter into our chaos. Jesus had to enter into the strife and the danger and the suffering of our world. We don't receive peace from a Savior who had it easy. We don't receive peace from a Savior that was exempt from suffering and pain. Listen to the way N.T. Wright frames this. The gospel of Jesus the Messiah was born then in a land and at a time of trouble, tension, violence, and fear. Banish all thoughts of peaceful Christmas scenes. Before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. At the same time in this passage, Matthew insists that we see in Jesus, even when things are at their darkest, the fulfillment of of scripture. This is how Israel's redeemer was to appear. No point in arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. 
If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. That's what this chapter is about. And this truth hasn't changed. Jesus is still with us where the pain is. He's with you in those stresses that you're facing currently at work. He's with you in that family conflict that is so heavy on your heart. He's with you in your physical pain. He's with you in your grief. So let's not mistake ease and comfort for biblical peace. God never promised us those things. Yes, they are blessings when God gives them to us. But it's often in our pain. It's often in our suffering. When we get in touch with our need for peace. When we experience Christ's peace most fully. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the invitation for you is clear to find peace with God in Jesus Christ. This is a peace that runs so much deeper than circumstances. I've talked with unbelievers before who have shared with me they don't believe in God because of all that they have suffered in their lives. With sympathy, I want to say God never promised you that you would be exempt from suffering. That's not the world that we live in. Instead, we have a God who entered our pain and suffering. We have a God who took on flesh and suffered himself like us. A God who experiences our suffering firsthand. Who suffered separation from his Father so we could have peace, reconciliation with the Father. And so if you don't know Christ, I invite you to consider your need for him. Your need for a true and lasting peace that transcends circumstances. And find that life, find that forgiveness, find that peace that you so desperately need. Look at verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. You can see Joseph kind of tensing up when another angel visits him, right? What's next? But Herod is dead, finally. It's a little bit of good news. And while the new ruler isn't much better than his father Herod was, God's plan is still on track. They go back to Galilee. They settle in their home city of Nazareth, just as the prophets foretold, Matthew tells us. But this formula is also different. There's no direct quotation in the Old Testament with these exact words. But Matthew sees this as a fulfillment of prophetic expectation. And so he tells us, because Nazareth was looked down on, it was a nowhere town, just as Messiah would be humble and rejected. But there's also a wordplay here that Matthew's Jewish readers would have recognized. The word Nazarene is very close to the Hebrew word for branch. We heard this prophecy this morning. Did you hear it in Isaiah chapter 11? Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
Matthew is showing us that despite the rise and fall of these wicked earthly rulers, the Messiah is the rightful Davidic king. I don't need to remind us that Herod's death is not the end of Jesus' troubles while he's here on earth. But I love how all through this chapter, Matthew keeps sprinkling in that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. It's as if Matthew's reassuring us along the way, hey, I know this looks really grim. I know this looks bad, but God has got it all under control. Yes, the world has a system that is completely opposed to God, completely opposed to God's peace. But Jesus came as the new Israel to show his people the shalom that they failed to live into. He's the new Moses to deliver his people from slavery to sin and death. And he is the new David to rule his people in peace. Which he will do. Because don't forget, Advent is so much more than a lead-in to Christmas. The themes of Advent point us to both comings of Christ, and when Jesus comes again, his promise of peace will be realized in fullness. When he comes again, our outward circumstances that we see all around us will finally match our inward reality as believers in Christ. Maybe Isaiah said it best again as he goes on in Isaiah 11. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What a picture of peace. True shalom. Human flourishing in every sense of the word, and we are called to Take hold of that peace right now. We can have peace knowing that Jesus came. He entered the chaos. He entered our suffering. We know that Jesus is with us now in our pain, in our trials. And we know that Jesus is coming again to bring complete shalom. And while we wait for that final day, while we find ourselves between these two advents, let's claim the promises of Jesus. Not freedom from pain and suffering, but peace in spite of whatever we face. Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Notice the words Jesus says, Don't let yourselves be troubled or afraid. Don't let yourself be troubled or afraid to drift out of the peace that I'm giving you because that's our default. Claiming the peace of Jesus is Swimming against the current, right? It's going upstream against the current of the, of the world. Choosing to focus our attention ultimately on Christ. If we look around us in this present moment, in our culture, there's a lot of people troubled and afraid, isn't there? A lot of those people are Christians, and if we're honest, that's us oftentimes when we look at our own hearts. We're tempted to say, oh, those people are afraid. Those people are troubled. Those people I disagree with on X, Y, or Z issue. Those people on the other side of the political spectrum, they're the ones that are afraid. It's like I often tell my kids, don't worry about your brother or sister. Worry about yourself. Look at your own heart. Look at the fear that's in your own heart. Look at the ways that you personally are tempted to be swept away in the current of the world. We have no excuse to be troubled and afraid, we who have Christ in us. 
What did we see in Matthew 2? Joseph and Mary weren't troubled. They had every earthly reason to be, but they weren't. They followed God's leading. They trusted. Who was troubled in our passage? Herod. And he had very good reason to be troubled. But we don't. So we don't want to follow Herod's example, do we? Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We often miss that part, don't we? Jesus said in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So let's seek true peace this Advent season. Let's not settle just for seeking ease and comfort like the world does, but true peace in Christ. That peace that often disrupts the surface of our circumstances. That peace that often takes us out of our comfort zone. But with God's provision, we can live into this peace. Because God moved toward us when there was conflict between us and God. When we were separated from God because of our sin, God moved toward us. And he equips us in Christ to move out toward others to bring peace, to be agents of his peace, his shalom in the world, wherever he puts us. Maybe it's that hard conversation you've been dreading. Maybe it's that conflict that you're in, that God can give you the courage to own your part and leave the rest up to God, but just to move toward. Too many believers in conflict, I think, fall for this false idea of peace, just an absence of conflict. And so when we're in conflict, we just separate, never speak again. That is not peace. The gospel calls us to so much better. Maybe you need to live more deeply into the peace you have with God in Christ. And this season is a wonderful time to recommit to regular time in God's word and prayer and confession, moving toward God, knowing he has moved toward you. But all of us can be agents of peace wherever God puts us, in our spheres of influence, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our church together. Can you imagine the effect on the world and the effect on our community we would have if we saw this as our mission, representing the peace of Christ to a watching world? Having a conversation with our neighbor, hopping on social media, that that would be our mission? Not picking up stones like the world does, but bringing peace. Bringing the shalom of Christ. Of course, it's easier not to do that, but Jesus is the source of peace that the world so desperately needs. We can also swim against the current this season by not just getting lost in the busyness. Not getting swept away with the activity and the stress. We may still be doing a lot of things. But take time to cast your anxieties on Christ. Take time to rest in his peace. Because his peace is available to you if you know Jesus Christ. Well, you may have heard the name H.G. Spafford. He was a successful Christian businessman and lawyer. He had a family that were devoted Christians. But they were no strangers to adversity. In 1871, their young son died of pneumonia. That same year, the great Chicago fire destroyed most of his investments. Just two years later, they planned a vacation in England to meet up with their friend, the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. Business demands delayed him, and so he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him 
But while they were crossing the Atlantic, another ship struck theirs, killing hundreds of people. Spafford soon received a telegram from his wife that said, Saved alone. All four of their daughters were lost. Well, he immediately took a ship to join his wife in their grief. And it's told that when they sailed over the spot where his daughters had lost their lives, he began to write words that would become the hymn, It is well with my soul. Spafford wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Spafford suffered just about every obstacle to peace we can imagine. And yet he still knew a peace that transcended even those unthinkable circumstances. This is the peace we have in Christ. Let's live it out. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that when we were your enemies in our sin, you moved toward us in love. You sent your Son, Jesus, to break down that wall between us to reconcile us to you through his death and resurrection. Father, we know that true peace is so rarely experienced in our world. And if we're honest, it's so rarely experienced in our own hearts. But may we be different. Help us settle not just for the world's version of peace, just an absence of conflict and suffering, but help us seek after the fullness of life available to us in Christ. And so we ask you to grow our peace through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.